0: everyone, welcome to the Toasty Kettle Podcast. My name is James, I'm your host, and today is episode 39, the big 3 nine. First, I want to take a moment to thank you all for finding the show, uh, for listening. It means a lot. I know the numbers are growing every single week, which means more and more people are listening, more people than just my mom. That's fantastic. Uh, so, super grateful that you found the show and i hope you enjoy the episode today so i just started off this episode by eating a a big piece of banana cream pie and a coke zero so i am amped up and ready to go for the show today now the Episode today it's one I've been teasing for the past couple of weeks and finally getting into it. We're going to talk all about Coca-Cola and the history of Coca-Cola. So one of my favorite drinks on the planet is a Coke Zero. I don't need all the fancy flavors, I don't need <laughs> a diet coke, I just Coke Zero. That's what I that's what I like. That's what I'm really into. And I get really sad and depressed when I go to a restaurant and one, when they have Pepsi, but two, when they don't have Coke zero, uh, you know, it's a hard time. So I've been thinking a lot about Coca-Cola. I've been thinking a lot about the origins of Coca-Cola. And today I'm going to tell you all about the crazy history and, uh, also throw in some facts and dispel some myths and rumors. So we're going to start at the very beginning with who invented Coca-Cola. So Coca-Cola was born in Atlanta, Georgia on May 8th, 1886, and it was invented by Dr. John Stith Pemberton at his Pemberton Chemical Company. Pemberton had been wounded in the Civil War. And had subsequently become addicted to morphine. And he spent considerable time trying to develop a morphine-free painkiller. So trying to use his pharmacy skills to overcome his addiction. His first attempt was known as Dr. Tuggle's compound syrup of globeflower. And the active ingredient was found in the button bush, which is a toxic plant found in Alaska. He then experimented with the coca and coca wines, and he made a drink that contained extract from a cola nut, among other things. And he called this drink Pemberton's French wine coca. Unfortunately, this beverage contained alcohol. And in 1886, Atlanta and Fulton County passed some temperance temperance legislation uh, that was very common at the time that meant that alcohol was no longer allowed in his area. So he had to find an alternative to his French wine, coca. So he makes many different syrups using trial and error, slowly drifting into his final product. He cleaned out a glass of soda water and discovered that it made a pleasant beverage. He then decided to market the drink as a fountain drink. Now, Pemberton mixed the syrup and he took it to Jacobs Pharmacy in town where they sampled the product, said it was excellent, and placed the drink on sale for five cents a glass. His bookkeeper and partner, Frank Robinson, chose the name for the beverage. He was known for his excellent handwriting and wrote Coca-Cola in the flowing script we know today. It's that classic logo that we all know. It was originally marketed as a medicine that would cure a number of diseases such as morphine addiction, indigestion, nerve disorders, headaches, and impotence. Now, soon after he brought Coca-Cola to market, John Pemberton was very sick. He had incorporated Coca-Cola and started a company around it, and he had a son, Charles Pemberton. And he felt that Coca-Cola was going to become a major success. And he wanted to make sure that a portion of the company was left to Charles. Now, Charles wasn't interested in owning a portion of the company and instead insisted they sell out to have the money instead. He was struggling greatly with finances. John Pemberton was at the time. He was struggling with his finances. And in an act of desperation, he started selling off the rights to his formula, and his business. And this is where Asa, or Asa, Griggs Candler came into the Coca-Cola picture. Now, Asa Candler was a smart businessman and pharmacist in the Atlanta area. He loved the Coca-Cola drink and began buying shares of the business from Pemberton. Charles, Pemberton's son, continued to be involved with the Coca-Cola company he held exclusive control over the Coca-Cola name. He sold a crude version of Coca-Cola under the Coca-Cola name and uh, with the blessing of his father, who was, like I mentioned, sick at the time. Now, this was a major hurdle for Asa Candler. At this point, Candler owned a third steak in Coca-Cola. He had the rights to the official recipe, but he didn't have the rights to the name. So as a result, he had to sell the beverage under alternate names like Yum Yum and Coke with a K, K -K (laughs) K-O-K-E. I love those names. And as you can imagine, he did not have much success selling under those names. He had the great taste. He did not have the name to go with it, the brand to go with it. So shortly after... He sold off the company. John Pemberton died of stomach cancer in August of 1888. He was 57 at the time. And when he passed, Charles was still in charge of the rights to the Coca-Cola name. After Pemberton died, Asa Candler acted quickly to gain complete control of Coca-Cola, including the rights to the name. He knew the recipe was solid, but again, under Yum Yum and Coke... Names, it wasn't taking off, and it certainly wasn't making him the kind of money that he felt he should be taking in. Now, one story, one version of the story, there's several stories out there on how Candler actually got the rights to the name. One story states that Candler approached Pemberton's widow on the day of his funeral and offered her $300 cash for the title to the name. And uh, whichever way he came about it, he finally got full control of the name and the rights to the recipe, and he incorporated a second company called the Coca-Cola Company. Not to be confused with John Pemberton's company, uh, which was just Coca-Cola Company. So Mm -hmm. the Coca-Cola Company is what Asa Candler started. And that's the company that persists to today. When all was said and done, Candler's total investment in taking over Coca-Cola was $2,300. In today's dollars, that would be roughly $64,000. And that's not bad for a company that's worth $83.8 billion today. Now... Going back to Charles Pemberton, John Pemberton's son, he was an alcoholic and an opium addict, and he was found unconscious in 1894 with a stick of opium by his side, and he died 10 days later at the age of 40, and that was six years after his father had passed away. Now, with complete control of the company, Candler was able to successfully market and grow Coca-Cola's footprint. He was responsible for getting Coca-Cola trademarked officially. By 1895, Coca-Cola had a national distribution, and in 1899, they began exporting the product to Cuba. Two years later, exports to Europe began, and then the global dominance and takeover ensued. Now, I'm going to pause for a minute. We're going to talk a little bit about cocaine and Coca-Cola. I remember back to middle school, that was the big thing that we would all talk about. Did you know Coke had cocaine in it back in the day when it was first invented? And there was a lot of myth and a lot of uh, intrigue surrounding that, right? Uh, And what's true? What's not true? Well, it actually did truly have cocaine in the original recipe and that's because they used the coca leaves and it was uh, the original coca-cola was made from brewing those coca leaves and those leaves of course they contained small amounts of cocaine so uh, it was a byproduct of using the coca leaves originally each glass contained around nine milligrams of cocaine And in 1903, Candler decided to remove the cocaine from the coca leaves before adding them to the drink. He then sold the extracted cocaine to pharmaceutical companies. So double dipping got the flavor in the product, but also turned around and had something he could also sell and make money on. Now, the early 1900s was a period of growth and change within the Coca-Cola company. As I mentioned, in 1903... Cocaine was removed from the formula. In 1911, the advertising budget for Coca-Cola reached the dizzying sum of $1 million. In today's dollars, that's around $12 million. Now, Coca-Cola's advertising budget for 2018 was $5.8 billion. So they definitely have no problem throwing money at their advertising. In 1915, the iconic Coca-Cola glass bottle was developed and used. In 1916, Candler ran for mayor and won. And as a result of winning that election, uh, becoming mayor of Atlanta, he began to reduce his involvement in the day-to-day operations at Coca-Cola. In 1917, the company reduced the amount of caffeine in the beverage by 50%. And in 1919, Candler completely got out of the business and gave most of his stock to his kids. They turned around and sold their shares to Ernest Ernest Woodruff. Now, Woodruff had two sons, Robert and George, and they were heavily involved with leading and influencing Coca-Cola until 1985. George was a director at Coca-Cola, and his brother Robert was the president of Coca-Cola until 1954, and then he continued on their board of directors until 1984. So that's a lot of names and a lot of dates thrown around. From Pemberton to Candler to Woodruff and finally his sons, Robert and George, that covers a significant chunk of Coca-Cola's history. So what else changed during that time? So you might have heard about the five-cent Coke, right? Uh, They had this crazy phenomenon going on with Coca-Cola in the early days where they refused to raise the price of Coca-Cola beyond five cents. And there's a reason for that. In 1899, Benjamin Thomas and Joseph Whitehead approached Asa Candler about a contract to bottle Coca-Cola. It was a business that was largely unproven at the time soda was done at soda fountains. That's where you went to enjoy a soda. You didn't buy bottles of it like we do today. Now, these were two lawyers from Chattanooga, Tennessee, and Candler signed the contract they presented for $1, which he never collected. And this also put Coca-Cola in a tough spot. The bottling contract had no expiration date. Candler had essentially agreed to sell Coca-Cola at the same price forever. And many speculate that he did this because he honestly thought that bottling would never take off. He had complete faith in the soda fountain. However, in 1928, bottled Coca-Cola sales surpassed the soda fountain sales. And so there's a major shift in how the market is consuming their Coca-Cola. Now, during this time, the price of a 6.5-ounce glass of Coca-Cola was 5 cents. Bottling companies wanted to raise prices, which really bothered Coca-Cola. The bottling companies could charge whatever they wanted for the finished bottle of Coke, but but Coca-Cola had to sell their syrup to the bottling companies at a fixed price. So because of this agreement, Coca-Cola could only increase their profits if they sold more syrup. So in an effort to force bottling companies to buy more syrup, Coca-Cola started a brilliant advertising campaign. Every ad for Coca-Cola had the 5 cent price tag in the advertisement. By controlling the advertising and the price of the finished product through the advertising, Coca-Cola was able to keep the price of Coke at 5 cents from 1886 to 1959. As a result, a lot of people bought it. And as a result, the bottling companies bought more syrup, and Coke earned more profit. Another reason for pushing to keep the cost of Coke at $0.05 cents was that vending machines at the time uh, used they, – they couldn't give reliable change. Vending machines couldn't give reliable change. And Coca-Cola was afraid that consumers wouldn't purchase a Coke if it required multiple coins. They were also hesitant to straight up double the price of Coke to $0.10 – so they kept it at five cents. Now, Coca Cola tried many times to get creative and find ways to increase their prices on the vending machines. They owned the machines throughout the country and wanted to increase those profits. The Coca Cola Company even went so far as to petition the US Treasury in 1953 to produce a seven and a half cent coin. The Treasury refused to fulfill that request naturally. And through nineteen the and through the nineteen fifties, Coke raised the prices uh, to six, seven, and sometimes ten cents. The five cent Coke was officially dead by nineteen fifty nine. So, marketing and advertising almost from its birth, Coca Cola has been big into aggressively advertising and marketing their product. One of Ernest Woodruff's goals when he took over Coca-Cola in 1919 was to ensure that everyone on earth had Coke as their preferred beverage of choice, that global domination that we see today. One of the legends and myths surrounding Coca-Cola is that they introduced the modern Santa to us. They began advertising uh, with Santa as their uh, holiday trademark, their holiday image motif, in the 1930s, and that is that classic picture of Santa, you know, old man dressed in red, white beard. However, white rock beverages used a similar image in their ginger ale advertising as early as 1923. So it was a common and recognized image long before Coke started using it in the 30s. I guess you could argue that Coke made it popular because they were uh, a a more well-known company and a more well-known beverage, but uh, other companies were definitely using it. Now, the 80s brought us the famous Cola Wars, and that's when Pepsi launched an ad where people participated in blind taste tests. They claimed that in blind taste tests, people preferred Pepsi over Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola then ran a series of ads that compared the Pepsi challenge to two chimpanzees trying to decide which tennis ball was fuzzier. And just like that, Coke was back on top. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where statisticians claimed that the the problem with that 50-50 type of a study is that at best it showed that people can't tell the difference between Coke and Pepsi when they're blindfolded. Not that they can actually determine which one is superior. And for the record, and I will claim this to my dying day, I am positive I can tell the difference between Coca-Cola and Pepsi. They taste distinctly different to me, not even similar, and definitely not interchangeable. Uh, definitely love Coke, not into Pepsi. So there you go. That's my bias for the day. <laughs> so how, do, how has Coke changed throughout the years? Shockingly, it's been a product that has stayed majorly the same. It's like the episode that I did, uh, my very first podcast episode. Go back, take a listen to it. It's on Dr. Pepper, the history of Dr. Pepper. Uh, really, not a lot of change or variation to Coca Cola over the years. Uh, Coca Cola had a long standing policy in place to not use its name on anything other than its flagship product. In the 60s, when Diet Colas started taking off, the Coca-Cola company struck, stuck to that decision and released a Diet Cola under the TAB brand in 1963. In 1982, they launched Diet Coke. And instead of using a modified version of the original recipe, Diet Coke was actually based off the TAB formula. Other flavors followed through the years. Some of them were regional and country-specific, uh, so some companies... Some countries, not companies, some countries had specific flavors that were unique to their demographic, their population. Diet Coke has had the most experiments lately with flavorings. Uh, You've had blood orange, mango, lime ginger, blueberry acai, uh, strawberry guava, orange vanilla, raspberry peach, vanilla, cherry, and more have all made an appearance on a Coke can through the years. For me, the variety in flavors has been particularly problematic. I am a sucker for uh, new flavors, and I've tried any new flavor that's been released in the past few years here in the States, and I've enjoyed them all. They all have their strengths and weaknesses, pros and cons. Um, However, like I said at the beginning, my all-time favorite, the drink I keep going back to, my drink of choice, is the standard Coke Zero Sugar. That's, again, I keep coming back to it again and again. So where are they today? The Coca-Cola company continues to be a beverage juggernaut. They own many popular brands, uh, some you may have heard of and others you likely haven't. Uh, Brands such as Sprite, Fanta, Fresca, Barks, Schweppes, Dasani, Minute Maid, uh, all fall under that Coca-Cola umbrella. So, what is your favorite beverage in that Coca-Cola umbrella? What is your favorite flavor of Coca-Cola? Um, if I didn't go with, if I didn't go with Coke Zero, if I had to pick something else, I would say that I really like the Diet Coke with lime. Uh, However, again, I feel like they've ruined it when they launched these new flavors. They got rid of their old Diet Coke with lime, and now it's Diet Coke with lime ginger. And uh, I'm not a huge fan of that, to be honest. But Coke Zero always has my back, for sure. And lately, we've really been getting into Fresca. Fresca's had some great flavors there. Uh, great flavors and then also varying levels of sweetness from sparkling cider to, uh, not sparkling cider, from sparkling water like a seltzer to uh, a touch of sweet is what they call it where it's lightly sweetened to uh, full-on sweet where it's almost too sweet for me, in my opinion. So that's Coca-Cola in a nutshell. Um, you know, John Pemberton stumbles upon it trying to cure his morphine addiction, Uh, still an addict, still trying to fund that addiction, in poor health, start selling off the company. Other people took it over and bought him out and ended up making the company into this crazy global uh, juggernaut. Really, uh, quick uh, quick facts here. Um. So only two countries in the world, two countries out of every single country, only two don't sell Coca-Cola. Can you guess? North Korea and Cuba. And I thought that was particularly interesting, Cuba, because that was the first country that Coke exported uh, their product to. And so currently today, two countries, North Korea and Cuba, don't get to enjoy Coca-Cola. Every other country sells Coke. That's, inc- that's in- incredible. It's crazy. Coca-Cola is the most widely distributed product on the planet. Coca-Cola was the first commercial sponsor of the Olympic Games in 1923. Sorry, 1928. <laughs> uh, Coca-Cola is worth $83.8 billion. Mexicans drink more Coke than any other country in the world. Um, I think the average Mexican drinks, I want to say 750 something Cokes in a year. So that's almost two a day. Um, 96%, 96% of the world's population recognizes the Coca-Cola logo. Now that's some serious brand recognition. A lot of companies would kill for that kind of brand recognition and brand loyalty. Coke sold nine bottles a day its first year. Today it sells $1.8 billion a day. And that's not just Coca-Cola, that's all of their other brands in their umbrella as well. The Sprites, the Fantas, the the Schweppes, the Frescas, the Dasani, the Minute Maid, you know, all of it. Coca-Cola is the second most known phrase in the world behind Okay. <laughs> so incredible. Crazy. Coca Cola owns over half of all soft drinks sold. The name for Coca Cola comes from two main original ingredients the coca leaves, which provided the cocaine, and cola nuts, which uh, contain caffeine. That's how they got their caffeine. And if every drop of Coke ever made were placed in an eight ounce bottle and laid end to end the bottles would reach to the moon and back over 20 over 2,000 not 20,000 over 2,000 times so that's incredible you know coke is wildly popular today super recognized has a lot of brand loyalty and a lot of brand recognition and it all started with one guy trying to overcome a morphine addiction and just mixing random things together to try and find a morphine-free painkiller. So that's crazy. Love that story. Uh, I loved learning a little bit about Coca-Cola today. Obviously, it's one of those products that just has such a tremendous, deep history. I only scratched the surface today. Hopefully, you were able to get something out of that. Hopefully, you were able to find something new or learn something new and uh, a cool fact that you can share with a family member or a friend. If you like what you heard, make sure you leave a five-star review wherever you listen to the show. That's going to be the best way that you can help me out. Best way that you can spread the show is to leave that review. That's really going to help the podcast start to rank with the different providers, and it's really going to help people find the show. You can also share the the show with a family member or friend. Again, that is always much appreciated and so grateful for those of you that are doing that. If you like what you heard, make sure you visit me at ToastyKettle.com, ToastyKettle.com. That's where you can find vintage recipes from the uh, 1700s, 1800s, early 1900s, as well as the show notes for this podcast episode. And of course, uh, I'm also on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Toasty Kettle. So again, you know, curious to hear, let's get the conversation going, go to Facebook, go to Twitter, at uh, Toasty Kettle. Let me know what your favorite, uh, Coca-Cola is, what your favorite flavor is, what your favorite, uh, what your favorite brand is, if, if it's Sprite or Schweppes or Uh, Fresca or Dasani or Minute Maid, you know, a lot of options, a lot of choice. They own everything. It's crazy. If uh, you know, if you think about it for a minute, the amount of beverages they are selling on a daily basis—it's just mind mind mind-boggling. Blows my mind. All right. Well, that's all I have for today. Until next week.